the Protect Your Neck Podcast, UFC on ESPN Plus 31 Breakdown, picks, plays, and whatever else comes our way. Let's go to work. Hot air hangs like a dead man from a white oak tree. People sitting on porches thinking how things used to be. Dark night. It's a dark night. Dark night. It's a dark night. What is up, my friends? This is the Protect Your Neck Podcast, and I'm your host, Dan Tom. Analyst's work you can find over at MMAJunkie.com, as well as LineMovement.com. But on this year program, the Protect Your Neck Podcast, we break down high-level MMA. That's what we're going to do here today, tonight, whenever you're listening to this. Hopefully it's before the fight, as I am recording this right during weigh-ins. We are about 10 fighters deep with some guy named Johnny Munoz just weighed in. I don't even recognize this guy for what it's worth. Uh, we'll get to that and how uh, I really won't have much or won't be telling you to bet on that because it looks like he's replacing Ray Borg, who, for undisclosed reasons, uh, is not able to make it, which sucks. Sucks if you're a Borg fan. Sucks if you're just a human being that feels for the guy. Um, you know Dan Tom and his, his his feels for people with bad luck and his understanding in that department, so I obviously feel for him there. Uh, we'll talk about that and the others. You know, another guy that's, that's definitely of my interest, uh, Jonathan Martinez, just missed weight. Weighing in at 140. Kind of scary that the fact that he used to weigh in at flyweight. We'll see what happened there. He was training at elevation. We'll, we'll, we'll get to that. And his his training partner, Chris Gutierrez, who looked like he just made weight. Um, we're going to break down all the fights, of course, folks, from top to bottom as per usual. Check the timestamp for when that starts if you want to skip the question and the brief note from last week. Uh, and then we'll uh, be an extra expedited edition since uh, less fights to break down, right? And at the end of the breakdown shows, as per usual with all breakdown shows, no harm, no foul. If you don't want to hear me or my voice, feel free to skip to the very end where I recap my picks and plays for you degenerates who ain't got that time to waste. And uh, I don't blame you. Um, hope you guys are well. Just a, a couple quick things. Um, we'll start off with uh, we'll start off with a listener question. Um, this is uh, from my man again over there. Uh, Frequent listen to the show at MMA underscore at Yusef Y U S U F. Um, Dan, why didn't Covington or Usman attempt takedowns in their fight? And uh, I'll say a second question because the, the answers kind of tie in to each other. Uh, staying on the same theme of wrestlers tiring, he goes. Also, I see a lot of elite wrestlers get tired in the UFC when wrestling, which was kind of going to be my my answer to your first question. Why don't Khabib? Um, all good questions, Yusuf. Um, I have less of an answer on the first one because it would—it's obviously extra, just pure speculation, right? I don't know. Um, I figured Covington would, if anybody had the suspect gas tank to expose. However, if you look at wrestling styles or people that know wrestling better than I, like the Ed Gallows of the world. Um, Usman should have had a clear advantage should they have tangled. Don't let the Division One or Division Two fool you, which I definitely agree with that part for sure. Um, but if that was the case, then yes, why why didn't Usman wrestle, right? Or why why didn't Covington wrestle? Easy arguments, you could argue, both would have helped their cases. 
Um, so yeah, that, that, that is a weird one. So that's why I would default to, to perhaps tiring because like Chael Sonnen and many others say, um, even Justin Gaethje for a piece this kind of ties into a piece that just dropped too. Um, which is, uh, you know, part of the stacked week. So apologize for being late with y'all, but this, this was a, a, a project I didn't mind doing, although, you know, uh, and it seems to have been received, received pretty well. Um, it was just a brief preview, nothing too in depth. Again, it's like one of those things, like uh, you know, you, you get a great idea, you know, from your editor, but also, you know, we we write for a certain, yeah, you know, very grateful for my spot, but also people who who know and write 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 for outlets or bigger outlets and have higher up bosses know, you know, it's like, Dan, we always don't want like the in depth Dan Tom, which I totally understand. So, um, I did have to kind of. Uh, kind of cut what I wanted to use but there, there was a lot another reason why I love kind of projects like that and and, and, and don't mind doing them um, and wish I did it more in fact so uh, in no way is a, a complaint and it, it's just it, I wish I could kind of just dive deeper I guess is what I'm trying to say because when I do these articles you know Dan goes balls deep in research and it was just just so much fun stuff to learn from judo sambo history um, learned about a lot about Khabib's dad which I try to like put some factoids in there um, about Justin Gaethje and Khabib's wrestling, but one of the th- themes I did leave in there, as I fucking draw, draw on here, and I'm going to wrap this up, folks, um, was the endurance part of it, um, where Justin Gaethje kind of admits himself that it tires him out, and when I went back to watch Gaethje's collegiate wrestling, what footage was available, you could really see that, you know, it's his first lines of defense, and his, his first layers, if you will, are very strong, especially in the beginning of a match, he's like a bull, he meets force with force like he talks about, but as the fight wears on, you kind of, kind of, you kind of see him um, start to wear down. As I posted that match, um, I believe the name was Josh Cremier, and you see, you know, he's able to kind of leg wrap and take a back and and ride Justin out um, pretty emphatically toward the end. Granted, that was Justin Gaethje in his last two years of college, where he was cutting a 149, which you know didn't look or seem healthy. Um, so, you know, not trying to feather his bed or anything like that, but, um, <clears throat> excuse me, but yeah, so, um, uh, but, but, but basically, you know, um, I gave Justin the edge early and Khabib the edge late, but the interesting thing, which I didn't add in my article, and I'll tie in answering your question, Yusuf, making it worthwhile for the audience as they listen to me, John, is that even though, you know, uh, I see, you know, Justin's force with force, with force and taking the center cage, all good things, um, his, hi- his hard-wired sprawls, uh, the way he frames out in the clinch and uses his head to steer, um, these are all really good things. Um, it's just that he doesn't Gramby roll enough. When I went to look back at it, I thought he Gramby rolled more. But in college or in his UFC career, which is the more relevant things in a way, um, he doesn't. And, it, and But... Maybe because I just came up watching him through WSOF. I have those fights embedded. And you'll see in certain fights like those, especially like grappling-based dudes like Luis Firmino, uh, pride veteran Luis Firmino, um, he, you know, he was a, Justin did use the Granby role there, which is why I referenced Justin in the same breath as Tony and why Tony, I felt, was an interesting matchup for Khabib um, because I, I feel like those scrambles work better than Justin's preferred scramble, which is tripod turn in as he swims for a hoisting whizzer and then he'll use his free arm to kind of break grip 
Um, and he'll do that on the initial to shut down before the takedown momentum gets going. So he'll do that coming in and coming out of takedowns. The problem is, is if he has to come out of a takedown, it probably means Khabib has somewhat compromised the hip or got in on the limb enough to get him to the cage. And that's where I see Gaethje's tripoding um, not going well for a, a mat return specialist like uh, Khabib. Um, that being said, tying up your question as we move on here, uh, the interesting part is even Khabib has his limits, right? Um, even he's going to tire, uh, which is why even in fights where he was dominating against strikers like Edson Barbosa or Conor McGregor, like it's no surprise that like those dudes had their had their best rounds in the third round, you know, um, you know whether it was Connor's little uh, run, or uh, you know against Khabib, even though he was too tired to do anything of it, or you know Edson perhaps too tired but still able to hit Khabib with like a spin kick in the third round and defend um, multiple takedowns. So even the best, um, which is Khabib, the best engine, the best wrestler, Khabib, Khabib, um, you know for MMA standards at least. Um, relative to MMA standards. And uh, so, yeah, even he has his limits. So it's like, okay, Justin has an advantage early, then we see Khabib take over. But if Khabib doesn't put Justin away or make Justin meaningfully tire from a beatdown, then does Justin have a stronger second win than Khabib once Khabib puts down the proverbial pack? Anyways, check out my article on MMA Junkie. Hope that answered your question and didn't bore the audience. Uh, my side of it, that is. Thank you for for submitting it, MMA Yusuf. And just really quickly on the Herb Dean Hardy thing, I did a live recap, which hopefully you guys enjoyed on my YouTube. Um, got the most viewers for me, at least. So that was nice. But, uh, you know, it's live. You know, I had an adult beverage in my hand. So you're, you're, you're not getting the most concise stuff. And I didn't really see everybody else's reactions. And and again, I'm, I'm going to move on. And it's not a, a thing like we have too much... Um, negative and and too much arguing as it is in the world and, and especially in my country um but it was, it was surprising to see so many and including people that i i really respect and whatnot um defend the stoppage what was a clearly bad stoppage um there was no tracking of the eyes you know when i did this her herb didn't double down on it which which i found more disturbing than the stoppage if you want to defend the stoppage it's f it's fine if you don't I, again, I think we should, I'm more about the peace and let's let's come together on things and let's see the silver lining. The silver lining is Herb was forthcoming and we want to see, you know, even though he wasn't accountable and I don't really agree with his account, as do many, you do got to appreciate that he is trying to be more transparent, um, although you would like to see those things done in official bodies, kind of like someone did, said in the Live chat, I would like to, you know, I would like to see them having to answer questions at the end, like post-fight scrums. Um, I would as well. And um, and I'll just say, though, to the people defending, I'm not going to go, you know, because, again, a lot of these people I respect. And a lot of the things, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's industry bias. You know, we, we, we want to be understanding to the rest. Um, us media members have a biases to people in the industry as well as to each other. I'm guilty of these things too, folks. So again, uh, like I always say on here and, and many times, I'm, I'm not throwing shade. And if it comes off as I am, it, it's nothing that it's nothing that I can't point right at myself because I'm, I'm just as guilty, folks. I do it all the time, you know, uh, especially with defending media, right? So like, you know, I... I you can get tiresome to hear that, so I can be just as guilty and and overly defend media. So, I I totally get it. I don't know if that's it, because again, it's an objectively bad stoppage. And I'll just say as we close this up that um, 
anybody defending that, the one thing that kind of was more shocking or I don't want to say upsetting because it's not, I'm not going to let it, you know, I'm not letting it ruin my day or anything, but like was the fact that that's fine. But like the fact that none of the people that I heard defending Herb mentioned anything about his past um, and, or uh, if they mentioned it, they really loosely mentioned it, head trauma, which is the most fucking biggest thing. Obviously, I'm obviously biased on that. Don't need to go into why, but that was the thing, and that's what, what, what that's that's what's upsetting. Um, if you want to defend Herb and move on and preach a positive, I'm, that's fine. It's your, you know, that's, that's totally fine. But please don't ignore the head trauma. Please don't act like people are just overreacting and looking to be outrage culture because. Herb Dean has a long history. I don't, I didn't go back watch, you know, I'm trying to move on with my week. I'm not trying to dwell on this, but so I didn't go watch Dan Hardy's video, but I'm sure he pointed out the Mertz Alive stoppage, which I tweeted about. Um, and I'll mention that here one second as I move on. And uh, and there are many others, like the Cynthia Calvia, Jessica Birch, who is a ground and pound stoppage, like Weidman and Rockhold, which people often point about also Herb. But the point was that girl never fought again. Um, what's another one I bring up in my top five bad stoppages? Mike Pyle versus TJ Wahlberger. That's another prolonged, almost a round of elbow ground and pound. I think you can even see Joe Silva in the background losing his mind on the slow-mo replays. Who is the ref? Herb Dean. Go look at TJ Wahlberger's record. He hasn't fought since then. The dude was in his mid-20s. Um, the only miles he had on him was jiu-jitsu miles from the Texas regional circuit. Dude hasn't fought since then. Like, what other metrics do you want for bad stoppages? You know? And in his defense, when I was going to watch, um, who was it? Was it, uh, was it Shabazian or who was it? Fuck. I forget. It was someone from this card. It'll remind me. But, like, Herb Dean did really good job. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, not, no, it was for my the Gaethje thing. Um, for Justin Gaethje's fights. Dude, he's got a really good eyes for, for, for those fights. Like especially that standing stoppage. Like Herb does an amazing stoppage. That that Ferguson Gaethje stoppage. Even more when I go back to look at it, like that was really good. And it should be harder for refs to do his standing stoppages, and we should see more of them. So Herb absolutely des- deserves credit for that. But this common elbow of dudes getting or women as well getting their faces and skulls elbowed into the ground. And and um and punched into the ground, and he's just standing there, in fact, encouraging more. And part of me thinks it's a it's a power trip. This is something that I didn't mention and no one else, no one's mentioned, and I almost wanted to do a YouTube video of it. I'm not really that guy, but it's just kind of something that feels important. Maybe I will go back and do it, but some of it feels like a power game, you know, and I'm not going to go back and make this political. I really want to wrap this up and not go too far down the line here, but it does kind of equate to the cops and that power structure. Because again, these are authority figures and it's not, all oh, cops are bad. I got friends that are cops as well, as well, folks. I'm not trying to demonize, but there is a common psychological threat here, right? Um, and, you know, we've seen Mark Goddard, who, shout out to my co-host Dan on the Line Movement MMA Betting Show, who even said on like last week's show, he's like, dude, I, I'm one of the people who came out hard on Goddard, but he's improved. And I don't want to speak for Dan, but part of me, what I, I I think it, he 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 could uh, could, could contribute to him and others saying that is that Goddard, you know, they should assert control. It is their octagon, but we would see Goddard going to it's my octagon. Listen, listen, Chito. You know, like it was like you know what I'm saying like he would go kind of go over the top like okay, Mark, it is your octagon. I agree with you, but like 
Now we're taking it away. Now, now it's a little too much about you. And we would even see guys who are usually really reserved and super professional. And not that they're not. I love guys like Anik. But even guys like Anik would, you know, subtle, subtle jab as well as, you know, get into it off, off broadcast slash semi in public eye with guys like Goddard over such issues to let us know that we're not crazy, right? Okay. Uh, sane-minded individuals like Anik even, you know, um, see these things. That said, Goddard feels like he's gotten much better, right? He keeps the sharpness and everything that makes him an amazing referee that he should get credit for. But he kind of toned down the, um, you know, the, uh, you know, <laughs> the cop attitude, you know, to so to speak. Like, uh, and he, you know, I, I joke about that because I even heard people joke to Big John about this. Like, oh, you're being such a cop right now, Big John, you know. And for what it's worth, people, like, I, I don't, you know, Big John seems like a polarizing character, and I get it, da 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 da. But like, I, I've had nothing but great experience. He's one of my favorite people in the industry. L- uh, like him or not, he's one of the most knowledgeable people and most experienced in the people, hands down. You can't argue that. And um, he, for what it's worth, he, he he always has a great sense of humor um, with me uh, and what I've seen and people I've interacted with. And um, so I'm not again trying to come out refs or cops here folks it's not about that but there is there is something to that psychology and the Mertz Elias stoppage kind of ties in with the although it wasn't prolonged again yeah it was only four shots which is enough to be life-changing another story for another time but it was a similar theme of Trinaldo uh versus the Dalloway Mertz Elias stoppage in the sense that like I forget what the call was, but you'll see fighters, you know, uh, be really savvy, like, oh, I got an eye poke, and they're just trying to get to their breath, right? You know, that real savvy stuff. They get they, they use their cage grabs. We know those fighters, right? And a lot of them, let's be honest, folks, whether they're Russian or Brazilian, they will be non-English-speaking fighters, and even the English, all of a sudden, even if they do understand English, all of a sudden, oh, I don't understand the ref, and they're buying themselves some time. I'm not, this isn't a uh, whatever phobic kind of a rant. No, no, this is just being truthful folks uh, no judgment here um this is something that happens and what do we do we get mad come on ref take a point come on ref right and back to our hypocrisy so why we have to also be understanding here is we be like come on ref take a point but on the other hand when a ref back to my point is too authoritative and too harsh um then then it becomes a problem as well right uh, where, you know, it's like, I don't, I don't want to see refs take that shit. I want to see refs smarten up and put the fighter in place. Like, no, no, we're, we're going to fight fair here. I see what's going on. Like, I appreciate that. But at the same time, that can be well and just and well-meaning, but it can be used at the wrong time. For example, Mertz Alive stoppage or the Trinaldo stoppage where um, a guy either wants out and the ref's not seeing the signs, whether he's calling for the foul um, not so much to get it, you know, or, or, you know, turning away for this way or turning away for that. And Herb is A, not seeing the body language and A or B, as far as not seeing the CB Dalloway body language, Mertzalayev, um was upset about the prior call that the fighter tried to get one over on the ref. And now the ref, whether he thinks this, it's a subconscious thing, I don't think, I think, I think ref, uh, Herb Dean is a good guy. I don't think he's an evil guy twiddling his mustache, but subconsciously he's like, oh, no, are you trying to pull one on me? No, I'm. I'll say when it's over, motherfucker. The problem is, is after that thought process and reaction subconsciously, transactionally happens, there's a guy taking a fucking beating, and instead of acknowledging the guy taking a fucking beating and getting him out of there, you're thinking, 
Nope, nope. We're calling this what I'm calling it because I'm in charge here and I'm right. I'm going to show them that I'm right by calling it when I call it. And it sounds cruel and it's not what they're thinking exactly. I don't think that at least. But subconsciously, there's a power thing there. Same thing with a walk-off KO. You know, um, some fighters are smart to do the walk-off KO because it's like, oh, you're going to, you know, you convince the, uh, you convince the ref, uh, you know, uh, uh, you convince the ref to stop it even if they're not out or you don't have to risk jumping, you know, following up strikes into a jiu-jitsu guy's guard where he can recover and then maybe submit you, right? It, it, it's kind of a clever thing. However, you can dance the line and it can bite you in the butt or even like a Yair Rosenstruck overeem can be right in the middle where you can argue that it helped you and you can argue, you idiot, you, you, why didn't you follow? I know you want it, but that's still stupid, right? Um, so it leaves things open. So yes, I, I don't disagree with anybody saying, and not that it's Masa Randuba's fault, but yes, if Masa Randuba were to have followed up, none of this would have happened. For sure. That I agree with. But that doesn't excuse the fact of what Herb Dean fucking did. It doesn't excuse the fact that, again, back to the power struggle thing, if you look back, the reason why it's still upsetting to people like me, Hardy, and again, not that it's an elitist thing. I don't, I'm not going to spark that argument. I don't believe you need to have experience. That being said, kind of coincidence, it's, it's the people who actually have fucking experience in a cage um, that are the ones upset. What does that tell you, folks? What does that tell you? Anyways, but... Um, you know, it doesn't excuse what Herb Dean did because Masa Randuba stops and looks up at him. And Masa Randuba, I don't think, was trying to game it. This is the Brazilian birthday party guy, man. He's throwing birthdays for the poor kids. Like, Masa Randuba is a good fucking dude. And you can see it. He doesn't want to hit. He doesn't want to hit him. And Herb Dean goes, oh, no, no, come on. Take another shot. Go on. Go on and punch him. And to me, that was just disgusting because it's either A, negligent, or B, worse than negligent. He's showing that he's in charge of... And yes, the ref's supposed to be in charge. I'm not challenging that, people. But he's making it a point over someone's unconscious, vulnerable fucking brain to let him know the obvious, that he's in charge. Of course he knows you're in charge, Herb Dean. Why do you think Moss Randuba's looking at you? Because you're in charge, motherfucker. Stop it. You know, and this whole fucking, you know, and it, 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 we joke about late stoppages like, oh, looks like looks like the refs are playing by Kumite rules. Like, I'm just as guilty, folks. I am just as guilty for tweeting those. There's nothing wrong with those. The problem is it takes what should be harmless jokes and makes it all too fucking real what we're watching. It really does. Um, and, uh, and yeah, sorry for that rant. This should be a, a short podcast and I already went fucking 22 minutes, but... That needed to be said. Uh, I'm going to move on. I expect you to move on. I'm all for the positivity. That being said, if you are going to be someone who defends Herb Stoppage, Trinaldo Stoppage, make sure you're incorporating the big picture. All right. We're going to be breaking down UFC on ESPN plus 31 as I mark the time. I'm going to try to go extra fast on this. Main card breakdown on um, MMA Junkie.com and the line movement betting show. Uh, linemovement.com follow it at line underscore movement uh follow that youtube channel like and subscribe having a lot of fun there um with my dude dan shout out to him and uh shack over there at half the battle um but yeah we're having a lot of fun we're only breaking down select um fights over there not the whole card but we do like you know a fat third or a fat half of the card and i'm, I'm pretty sure the fights we broke down um, weren't the ones that were touched, thankfully. And the fights that I'm playing, 
at least I'm going to look at my phone, weren't the fights that were touched aside from a, a weight miss. Um, so I'm going to, I'm going to scan that right quick, but we got, uh, Derek Brunson. So you're plus 290 underdog versus Eric Shabazian, the favorite minus 350 for the main event. I- I'm an idiot. Uh, hopefully my man, Abby, who's just amazing video work. Speaking of amazing video, uh, you know, v- video over there, uh, one of the unsung heroes behind the scenes, a junkie. Um, all our video team is great. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, he, um, He, uh, what was I going to say? Shit. Oh, I'm, uh, hopefully he, uh, edited it out where I said, like, you know, championship rounds or, or whatnot, or I probably outed myself on the written breakdown because I thought it was five rounds. I didn't realize it was three. Um, that saves us from a potentially ugly fight because no matter who was going to win, if it went past three, it was going to be ugly because Derek Brunson's never been there. And of course, Shabazi can only been to, uh, round three once, which we can, uh, you know, get into as far as, um, you know, as far as uh, your perspective on that, because that's another, that's another, um, you know, that's another perspective. Uh... Sorry, fire shot. Oh, Jesus, Mark Goddard. Um, sorry, I'm trying to say Anderson. What the fuck? All right, Brunson. I've successfully made weight. Okay, cool. Just making sure the the weigh-ins are still on, or the the main event is still on, and um. Yeah, okay. But yeah, I didn't realize it was a, it was a five-rounder. Um, but yeah, the, the three-rounder with uh, Shabazian and Brunson, or not Brunson, Stewart, uh, it could go either way, you know? Like, I went back to watch it, and I'm like, okay, no, it was a 29-28, um, because again, uh, even though it was really dicey when Shabazian was taking those shots from the turtle, he actually fights his way back into the fight, um, gets back on the clock, doesn't look discouraged, doesn't look like he's going to be a guy who's easily broken, proved his durability, which are stuff that I like to see. I like to see guys overcoming adversity. And uh, finishes the round, you know, on top, getting, you know, multiple takedowns. So, you know, the, I don't hold that against him. I didn't hold it or condemn either guy for that, as I explained on the uh, Live Movement MMA betting show. Uh, the problem is we haven't really seen Shabazzian against South Balls except for, like, one regional show where he pretty much closes the distance and takes the guy down and grounds and pounds him, I'm pretty sure. So it's really hard to tell. Um, but, you know, being all his amateur boxing experience and uh, karate experience, um, he probably ran into some southpaws, fair to say. Um, you know, Shabazzian also wrestled a bit in high school, which can be shown, and I think we're going to see. I'm hoping Brunson mixes in his takedown game. He's, he's, he's got a pretty diverse game from body locks, single legs to doubles. Although he mainly, unless he can catch you outright with a power double, he mainly uses his doubles or his singles to kind of just push you to the fence. Um, a la Khabib in the spirit of things. Not the same style, obviously. But uh, So I hope we see that from Brunson because it'll test more of Shabazzian's takedown defense. We only have small samples. He looks to do the right things as far as like, you know, that Gaethje move where he's got the sprawl accompanied with the hoisting wizard and the grip-breaking free arm. Um and uh, he spins and turns corners um, pretty decently, both defensively and as well as finishing like his doubles. So I imagine those will be put to the test with Brunson in a small cage. Um, Brunson's best route is to fight like he's been fighting. You know, he either goes crazy in the first round or he overcorrects the steering wheel, and we get the steering contest like versus Anderson Silva, right? Excuse me. Oh, that coffee! It's so good. And uh, I think he's found like kind of a big a balance now that he's finally gotten over to a big camp. 
uh, over at Sanford MMA under Henry Hooft. Come on, stand strong, don't quit. Where's the rumble line now? Um, you know, so he's, he's uh, you know, so it, he's a little more measured, Mexican takedowns, styming, southpaw counters, stuff like that. I think that's going to be his best route here um, to win is to just stymie it and make it a really ugly fight and hope Shabazzian gets tired. However, I feel like the small cage is going to force small uh, force exchanges where I see uh, Shabazzian's accuracy and speed shining through. So uh, for whatever that's worth. All right. Uh, next fight. Um, Joanne Calderwood, minus 145. Jennifer Maya, plus 125. Um, like I was saying on the MMA, MMA betting show, I, I'm pretty sure I called the last two for you protecting your podcast listeners. will back me up on this. Last two times, Jennifer Maya missed weight, I believe. And um, I said on the show, she's probably not going to. And she actually comes in underweight, 124.5. Whereas Joanne Calderwood, who is scheduled for a championship bout, does not make championship weight, but does make weight at 126. Not saying that means anything. However, it's a fight that's on my avoid list, one of two, since the other avoid list got, got checked off. That doesn't mean you can't play it. It just feels like a trap spot, however the line is reflecting it. Um, you know, I'm a fan of JoJo, uh, you know, uh, I always have been since like before the tough days, like, uh, but, um, you know, I would like to see her do well. Um, but I could see Maya timing things against the cage. I don't know if, you know, Calderwood's gonna submission loss explode like she has in the past in certain fights. Um, and Jennifer Maya seems more of a positional player as far as her BJJ goes, as the way she applies it. Um, so hopefully we just get a kickboxing bout where I see Calderwood's variety and volume winning out the day. But Maya, you know, again, she, she's she's a big girl. Used to fight up a weight as opposed to Calderwood down. So we'll see if she can get it against the cage. I'm going to pick Calderwood for a decision. Uh, Vicente Luque, now minus 220, Randy Brown plus 180. I started off, I, I, always, I, I was always going to pick Vicente Luque in this spot. You guys know I'm a big Luque fan. But, um... Perhaps me and the public were avoiding gassing the Luque line early as it was sitting at like minus 175 to minus 180 earlier this week because uh, this feels like a trap spot, whether it's pandemic era, whether it's Randy Brown's opportunism, although Randy Brown can also be vulnerable to opportunism, right? Uh, more importantly, he's got the long limbs and that tall stature that Luque seems to do pretty well against unless your name's Wonderboy Thompson, although he still got his knocks in on that despite taking... You want to talk about pinpoint shots that can put you out. However, despite losing, Luke has still not never been stopped by strikes. Um, so it'd have to be a pretty big upset. So for that reason, and um, after talking to my man Dan, I felt a little more confident in Luke. Now I actually put him on one of a two leg, which I'll give you here. It's also going to be on my line movement MMA betting sheet. Um, and I don't want to discount Randy Brown. You know he's got a chip on his shoulder i'm sure he saw my pick on the junkie staff pick so i'm probably part of the media members he's talking about and nope not taking it personal i get that mentality more power to you randy brown in fact i like it when these guys have that chip on their shoulder like randy brown and interviews shout out to james lynch i went through like all his interviews for that i love that he aggregated it all on one spot on his channel which you should go follow and subscribe to but I like that chip on the shoulder Randy Brown has, man. And he is at that age where he is going to improve and he is going to continue to blow us away. His sample size isn't strong because, you know, he hasn't had a lot of appearances. But that almost makes him all the more dangerous because what potential improvements has he made? However, in said interviews, 
by his own admission, and as well as if you look closer into his fights, you see this, which is what kind of really sold me, is that he really likes to be dictating terms. Now, with his reach and his height and his frame and his skills, he's got a lot of tools to dictate those terms. I don't blame him for wanting to dictate the terms. He should want to dictate those terms. However, it's always dangerous when you, when you, when you, when you say, I don't want this because well, what's your enemy going to do? That. Well, if that's not your enemy's style, then maybe he won't do that. But that is Luke's style. Luke gets his war. And where's the battlefield? The 25-foot cage. So it's hard not to see Luke getting the war he wants. So as long as Luke's chin holds up, he should have an advantage in wrestling, jiu-jitsu ranges, and striking ranges. So um, I got Luke here as part of a one-piece parlay. Um, didn't take any other angles on it, although those other angles you could take. I was looking for unders to try to get ahead of that trend since we're going back to the small cage. However, none jumped out for me. Granted, as you guys know, I'm not a big under guy, so take that for what it's worth. Um, wow, this one keeps going in the wrong direction. Maybe not. Maybe it's going in the right direction if you're going by age and athletic ceiling. Lando Venata is your favorite, minus 155. Comeback on Bobby the King Green, plus... 135. Um, yeah, I picked Bobby Green the first time. Uh, I don't think I played it. I think it was on my avoid list for the obvious reason of these closely collision-styled matches. However, I did score the fight for Bobby Green, uh, winning regardless of how you scored that first round. He, he, he won the last two, um, stealing the last round. Uh, since then, it's interesting. Venata should improve more, and by the naked eye, he has. He's fought more measured. He has went more to his ground game. We saw, we've seen a submission win, right? These are very smart things that I'm happy to see from Venata. And Venata's stereotype of gassing past the first round. You can argue that that's overblown by both looking at the stats, although, as you know, I'm not a big stat guy because they are misleading for that fact and many others. Or if you look at the fact that, again, I'm a counter guy, so I, I got love here, that Lando Venata quietly does his best work countering, and I think he started to figure that out as he's countering more. And he does land hard and emphatic shots. So as we've seen with talented strikers, whether it's like, you know, the earlier age of talented strikers like Alistair Overeem and Vitor Belfort, who are classic guys who have, who have won rounds off like seven shots, um... Or, you know, more more uh, new age guys like Venata, um, that's perfectly acceptable and plausible. So you got to be careful writing someone off for the numbers as well, if that makes sense. So you can defend Venata's pace here. However, there's no question that Venata round three versus Venata round one, victory or defeat, good performances or bad, it's never the same guy. Um, there's always a noticeable downtick. That is true. So, Also, what is true is it's interesting. Venata, younger, higher athletic ceiling. Um, all these things from the naked eye for improvements more. Yet what does Bobby Green tout? And Bobby Green's not much of a social media guy. So like, if you were to judge his fights by social media, you'd be like, oh, shit, what the fuck is he doing? And I actually seen him popping up with the, some of the um, Denver, Colorado guys. So I don't know if it's because he's tight with them on, on fight week or he went out there for a little bit. So it's always hard to tell what Bobby Green's doing. But when did Bobby? When's the, when, when's the last time Bobby Green missed weight? When's the last time Bobby Green came in out of shape? 
When's the last time Bobby Green, whether you like his style or not, questionable moves he's made or not, when's he ever slowed down in that third round? I'll wait. And um, and sure, Bobby Green doesn't have the calf kicks and the bullying clench style, which was the perfect style and perfect game plan that Dracar Close, their common loss, did to Lando Venata. Yes, Bobby Green doesn't have that, but he has his own brand of bullying swagger that I think will bring Venata out of his measure thing. And what... I want to tie off that Instagram point and that improvement point real quick. What did Bobby Green post on his Instagram? He says, let's see who the most improved one is, fucker. Let's see who got better. Like, knowing that. You know what I'm saying? Like, uh, the fact that he felt more like a winner at the end of that fight, which is probably why he's saying he's surprised Venata took the fight again, but is more than happy to oblige him. Um... And if you look at it, Bobby Green, who could always fight southpaw and switch to southpaw, I think he started doing that as better leg kickers came in, like that he fought like Barbosa, right? So you see Bobby Green, uh, even from then, kind of switching more to southpaw. But he starts showing to be able to fight more from southpaw straight up. Not only that, he comes out in his last fight against Clay Guida and almost fights strictly from southpaw to throw him off. Whether he did it to just be clever and throw him off, that's fine. I'm all for that, too. Um, if anything, it showed that he could fight from Southpaw. More importantly, it showed it was smart because he was trying to deny Clay Guida his entries. I think he saw something in Guida's wrestling entries that he could defend easier by giving him a leg out front, uh, putting that extra distance by keeping an open stance matchup. And when you look at Lando Venata versus Southpaws, he's typically not done well when guys go Southpaw on him. Um, that stance has troubled him. It also takes away Venata's weapons. Because Venata, for as much as you can point that he's got picked off by kicks, you can also say, yeah, but Venata's got good leg kicks himself, and Bobby's got that boxing-centric stance. Again, Bobby's shifting stances so much, he's already addressed that, like, before he even met, before he even knew Lando Venata is. Like, Bobby Green was already adjusting his game for leg kicks. But now if Bobby Green comes out and goes southpaw on Venata... And just starts working that jabbing lane because Bobby Green shows that he can go jabbing lane from any stance matchup against a guy like Venata who shows an incredible amount of damage in the small cage. And again, what did I say about like Nate Diaz fighters is who I want to bet on in pandemic era. I said it on this show a couple weeks ago, right? Right? They're gonna they're gonna be able to get in the fighter's head. They're gonna be they're gonna have an empty arena to orchestrate with him pretty much. And that is Bobby Green. Now, I will say the caveat, like I always say, Gadelia Joanna won that suspect moves from trash talk to, to cheap shots. Uh, not that Bobby Green gives cheap shots, but to my point here, will sway the human side and judges. So they'll score around against you that you probably should have won. So between Bobby Green, talking trash, and counterpunching, that already makes him a very dangerous guy to bet on. I'm not telling you guys, you guys see where I'm going here. I'm not telling you guys to follow me head first off this cliff. But if you're looking for a dog to sprinkle, well, I'll tell you who I played. Um, for, 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 you know, for, 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 for a unit is, uh, Bobby Green at plus 130. Now he's plus 135. Um, again, you know, for the reasons I said, uh, pace fighters, small cage, you want to go with good, the better pace fighter, small cage, you generally want to go with the better grappler. Now, Venata actually technically won a lot of the wrestling exchanges, but they were so brief, and he didn't really win it as so much as just showed he could scramble with Green. He's not going to be able to control Green like Marcus Mariano. Who's who's ever controlled Bobby Green? Who's the last person? And he just fought Clay Guida, mind you. You know what I'm saying? Like, he's not going to be able to control him. 
So pace fighters, experienced fighters have been doing really well in the pandemic era. You know, uh, even though I'm going to fade an older fighter, I just cashed an older fighter uh, in the lightweight division. You know what I'm saying? Um, now, not only in that that fight with Trinaldo, but, but it's been a lot of my themes is I've been going against the line movement. I've been going against the public. And I could eat shit here, folks. You guys know me, and I, I won't be shy from it. But more often than not during the pandemic era, I've been right fading the public. So I'm going to take a shot on Bobby Green here, kind of out of principle, even though I don't disagree if you've got the opinion, like my man over on James Lynch on the Octagon Outlook show said, um, this should be an avoid list. Like, I get that from first impression, but for the reasons I said, I'm going to take a shot on Bobby Green. Kevin Holland, minus 220. Trevin, Jake, plus 180. (laughs) Trying to save your ears. Jake, and Kevin Holland, the smack man. You want to get smacked by the smack man. Uh, Kevin Holland, baby. Um... Kevin Holland's real dangerous to bet as a favorite, so don't follow me off this cliff, but he is the second leg for my parlay for plus 1.03 because um, I think I got him both like minus 210 range. Holland now minus 220 as well uh, with Vicente Luque. Um, I, I just like Holland here, man. He's never been stopped by strikes, and uh, that's Trevin Giles' best path, path to victory. Um, unless it's a slow, weird decision, and if it is... That's the worst way Kevin Holland's going to be able to lose his fight because, again, the trash talk can work work against you. You can see it in fights from Bobby Green, Kevin Holland, Diaz brothers. Even if the decision is correct, win or lose, there's oftentimes rounds not given to them that they probably should have gotten. And, again, back to my canary. My coal mine theory is that if a fight's close, and especially if judges don't understand what counters are, um, they're going to uh, they're going to see the guy talking trash and a kind of a subconscious bias is going to kick in and go, I'm going to give it to the good guy, right? Um, so Kevin Holland's really going to have to be careful of that here if this fight goes nowhere. However, I see Kevin Holland, who recently just got his, uh, you know, how he's been keeping busy. He just got his uh, black belt from Travis Luter, which is really respectable in the pandemic era, which tells me the kind of shape he's coming in. Comes in underweight, 184 this morning, which doesn't surprise me because Kevin Holland doesn't cut a lot of weight, which was another plus about taking short-notice fights. And something I look for both in short-notice fights and in this pandemic era is kind of that attitude intangible. You know? That attitude intangible, man. Whether you're... You know, guys I talk about, like the Jack Hermansons of the world or Rose Namajunas, where you need the planets to align, but when they do, watch out because you're not going to get beaten that night. Those people are doing really well because they don't have as many distractions. But the people that just don't give a fuck no matter who's, no matter what era, no matter who's in the arena, those people that don't give up, they're doing really well too, folks. So that's what I mean by attitude intangibles within that spectrum. And uh, Kevin Holland's got that attitude intangibles to show up and blow up. Uh, whereas Trevin J. Giles, um, you know, man, I got love for J. Giles, man. You know, it's got to be tough being, you know, an African-American and a police officer. I mean, that juxtaposition, that juxtaposition before, um, before the, the, before the recent and, and just social outrage, um, happened. It was a tough juxtaposition, a juxtaposition to walk anyways, folks. I sympathize. But to, to, to Jay Giles, his own admission, um, he's been—he's barely been able to see his family. His schedule's been so hectic by his own admission. How much is he being able to train? 
whatever it is, their opportunities, aside from what Jay Giles is realistically dealing with, is the same otherwise because they're both Texas boys. So as far as travels and legal regulations, it's an even playing field on that sorts. So that's why Kevin Holland is favored here, and that's why even people like me are, are even going to uh, play, him, play him for some chalk, although getting some plus money by combining him with Luke. But you know what I mean. Not saying you got to follow me off this cliff, cliff, folks, but that is the um, that's the uh, justification behind it. Um, all right, next fight: uh, Jonathan Martinez, Pedro, vote for Pedro, minus two sixty versus Frankie Signs, plus two twenty. Uh, Pedro Martinez uh, missed weight. However, uh, even though weight missers aren't doing quite as good, in fact, they're on the losing end as opposed to last year where it was like the thing you almost wanted to be on the guy that missed weight. That being said, uh, I will say that even though it's a small sample size, everyone I've bet on who has ended up missing weight is still won and cash that bet. Knock on wood. As I say that, I'm probably going to lose this one. But um, Jonathan Martinez, for for a couple of reasons, you know, um, mainly just the line inflation, scared me away from a parlay piece. Not saying I, I might not put him in something degen, not saying you can't use him, but that's why he didn't make that official cut, if that makes sense. Because um, he went a little too high. You know, the opener was just, even though people didn't believe it. He got bet down, and then he got skyrocketed back up over the opener, right? So, which is why I'm kind of out of my parlay range. That being said, you're still going to give me plus 195 on inside the distance. And I think he wins it. You know, everyone talks about robberies, and I hate using the word robbery, and I still won't use it here. But I still might think that Jonathan Martinez versus Andre Uhl is my worst decision of 2020. No one gets upset about that. Everyone, even on that card, everyone got more upset about... Jones Reyes, which I'm not going to get into. Then Martinez, oh, like, it's ridiculous. Like, Martinez, you can make the argument easily he won every round. You know, I think round one's close. And then round round two, again, if you look at the numbers, like, oh, Andre Ull landed more. Like, Andre Ull was just prodding with the jab because his whole fucking side from his ribs to his arm and wrist got broken up. <laughs> and he was, like, kneeling over in pain. But... The judges did not award those body shots. I'm still upset about this. Jesus Christ, look at me. Uh, but yeah, man, uh, Martinez really hits, hits hard. Um, and it looks like he's bringing in some extra weight with him, whereas Signs, again, I just I just cashed a 41, soon to be 42-year-old, but Frankie Signs, you know, turns 40 five days after me, uh, August 12th, coming up next month, folks, within two weeks here. And Frankie Signs has been rocked or stopped in four of his last six fights. Uh, not good. Uh, this is also not lightweight. This is 20 pounds south at Bantamweight. That is deceptively full of bangers, folks. We've been getting some knockouts with the Bantamweight cards from this pandemic era. Even fucking Davy Grant's out here knocking out Hawaiian chins. I mean, yeah, you lost that Davy Grant. Dan, don't creep people out with the Davy Grant. Oh, all right. Uh, but, you know, like everybody's getting knockouts at 135. So as I say that, I'm probably going to fail here. But I went for an inside the distance play. Um Frankie Signs likes elbows, but he's also open for elbows. So I see Jonathan Martinez at the end of the second round or somewhere from the beginning of the third on sparking it off by defending shots with elbows because Frankie Signs, he coaches wrestling, but kind of like my co-host Dan said, he's a man, he's a man of an older, older generation of style. And I don't think Dan was being literal from his age because if you look at his style... Um, yeah, like, he doesn't do anything to hold there. Like, he's not, you know, you look at his profile, he doesn't have any jiu-jitsu ranks or competitions. It's not that a wrestler should turn into a jiu-jitsu fighter. It's not even that a wrestler should be a submission artist, folks. I'm not even saying that. But it's really important to learn the 
jujitsu meta and how it ties into MMA because it's going to help you hold down positions. It's going to help you counter what the other guy's doing and add to your riding positions and control. Frankie Signs does not do that, which is why, especially in a scrambly division, guys get up. And sure, Jonathan Martinez does not have good takedown defense, but it is getting better fight by fight. He did spend this whole camp at uh, Factory X Muay Thai, who, again, because they're at Colorado, probably close to that Colorado Springs area, a lot of cross-training with Olympic-level wrestlers who have been in and out of the gym since June he's been training with, for whatever that's worth. Furthermore, since the beginning of his UFC career, even when he was a deer in headlights to Andre Sukum, uh, he always scrambles really well. So even if Frankie Sainz gets the takedowns, I don't think he's going to be able to hold Martinez down, and that's where Martinez, I think, he's going to land elbows off the break or catch him with knees on the way in or letting him up with body kicks because Frankie Sainz um, has struggled when guys have even flashed the southpaw stance on him. So now he's going against a fully-fledged southpaw. I don't like that for Mr. Sainz. I think he gets stopped here. Uh, I put, a, I, I put I think, like yeah, uh, 0.75 units at plus 195. You don't got to put a lot to get a lot there. All right, uh, Gerald Mearshart, GM3, baby, minus 160. Ed Herman, plus 140. As I said on Twitter, this is a manly goddamn matchup right here. It's a manly goddamn matchup. Um, I love both these guys. Uh, picking GM3, I get why he's favored. It's weird that like I'm picking GM3 for pace and mobility. This is probably the only fight where I pick him for pace and mobility. No offense to GM3. Uh, and that's not even like a, a knock on Ed Herman because like I was saying, like everybody's, you know, and I'm not hating on anyone. You know, I get it. But the analysis, what's it? Oh, Ed Herman's molasses. Oh, he's slow. It's like, it keeps saying that. I'll cash on him against Tim Bosch, as I called the knee knockout. I'll cash on him against uh, Kadesi Bragamov. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I am, it's proven, man. I am not an Ed Herman hater. I, I like me some Ed Herman. I got soft spot for all the Team Quest dudes. However, as underrated as Ed Herman's jiu-jitsu is, I'm not sure how his hips are going to hold up outside of the Team Quest clinch, right? Um, so I think Gerald Mirashart has the edge down there. I think he has the edge at range. I think that southpaw body kick's going to be real live and probably his best chance at hurting a guy like Ed. Um, but Mirashart did just get knocked out, man. You know, the James Lynch interview, he said he, you know, didn't have any concussion symptoms and was smart about getting back into training, but... You guys know I'm a big head trauma guy, man. That's just really dangerous to be gambling with. Now he's going against a heavy hitter who is settled in to light heavyweight. Like, shout out to Connor and Zane, but if we're using the dad uh, analysis, like, I would argue that, like, not only is Ed Herman settled into light heavyweight, that dude is dad enough to compete at heavyweight. I said it, baby. Um, so you got to be careful there. Uh,. I got Mearshart by decision, but this is on the avoid list. If you want to take another shot on the dog or there's another angle I'm not seeing, I don't hate you. But that is the uh, last one on my avoid list. Uh, love both guys, um, uh, but I got GM3 here. Uh, Chris Gutierrez, minus 325. Cody Durden. Tyler Durden, uh, plus 265. Yeah, um... At first, I was like, I don't think Gutierrez should be that much chalk, but is he going to be like that D-Gen parlay piece that everybody adds on? What's going on here? Let me see what's going on. And uh, Cody Durden, I was like, wow. Southpaw, it says in his um, profile, uh, two-time state champ, guy wrestles. I think he's like a blue belt or purple belt in jiu-jitsu or whatever. 
I was like, wait a minute, durable softballs who can wrestle are my underdog ar- archetype. Now, it looks like from the last two fights, again, um, big shout out to my to my dude Dan, who not just a co-host, but he also uh, commentates for NFC for a lot of these guys coming up on the regional show. So the dude, he's got his eye on, on, on a lot of these dudes, uh, and he knows Cody. And Cody, just from his profile, caught my attention. Now, he's fighting orthodox in a lot of these fights, even though he'll switch and shift on the way in. He can shoot from either side. So maybe that's where, that's where that comes from. Maybe he's trying to throw someone off. Or maybe he plans on coming in the southpaw, knowing that Gutierrez is a leg-kicking machine. That said, Gutierrez can also switch and kick from southpaw. So who knows with that. Um, that being said, he does. Cody Durden does fit the archetype in every other way, so much to the point where... I'm actually going to pick Cody Durden here. Now, Gutierrez, he is training, training, getting some wrestler looks uh, at Factory X, and he does have a southpaw to train with, but if this guy's not coming out with southpaw, and whether he does or not, he's not going to be the same style as Muay Thai Jonathan Martinez. Um, this guy's a wrestler who gets after it. He loves the cage, and he's going to have the small cage to work with. He's strong. He looks like he has that attitude intangible, because I even watched his post-fight interview. Like, this guy seems like he was made for the Contender Series, man. Like, he uh, he said, like, he's even called out Dana White for the Contender Series. He's like, come on, I'm knocking the door down. Like, it just, you know, talk is talk. But, again, no, it's attitude intangibles, folks. The guy shows he has the attitude intangibles, too. Sure, he got caught by submission. And these were against notable names, you know. Uh, and, and, you know, uh, uh, were fights where he was winning the fight until he lost kind of a thing. And that's fine. Those things typically happen by submission. Everyone's got those prospect losses by submission on their record. It's the knockout losses you want to worry about, especially when they stack up. Durden hasn't been knocked out. Um, Durden's going to keep Chris Gutierrez probably on his back foot with the small cage, his style, and what Chris Gutierrez brings. Like All those things are calling for that game plan if it wasn't already hardwired into this kid. So um, I already was backing off Gutierrez, but after seeing footage uh, and, and shouts to my dude Dan talking to him, uh, who helped me with some of that footage, I, I actually got sold on, sold on Cody Durden here. Um, he didn't make my betting sheet. Props to those who are taking the shot on him on here. As um, I'm going to join you. I'm going to be sprinkling. You don't got to follow me off the cliff, folks. But uh, I think we all can agree, even if you're picking Gutierrez, that chalk price is too high. So I'm playing Durden, and I'm also picking him as well, folks. Uh, I think he's going to out-wrestle. Um, dude, if he can find a submission, Jesus, he's really going to just burst onto this goddamn scene. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I think he's I think he's going to out-wrestle Gutierrez to get the win here. At plus 265, I don't care how he gets it done, though. I'll throw some love on it. Uh, sorry for the long opener, folks. I tried to make up with it at the ending. We kept this under an hour, so it technically is expedited. So let me just go back through and recap my picks and plays. I am taking Shabazian over Brunson, taking Calderwood over Maya, taking Luke over Brown, taking Vina- uh, taking Green over Venata, taking Holland over Jagas, taking Martinez over Signs, taking Mearshart over Herman, Taking Durden over Gutierrez. Uh, Parlay Luke and Holland for some plus money at 2U. Took a straight play on Bobby Green for a unit. Um, only put a half U on for plus 265 on um, Durden there. Uh, actually, I got him higher at plus 280. But, yeah, he's plus 265 now. Um, Martinez inside the distance, plus 195. I played it a quarter unit. On my avoid list doesn't mean you don't have to. Um, as Calderwood, Maya, and Herman Mearshart. Thank you guys 
uh, appreciate you guys for listening to me, John, whether it's the beginning bullshit or, uh, you know, the picks and plays and all that stuff. Really appreciate you guys. Again, all free content, all research stuff, all consistent. I honestly can count the weeks I've missed on one hand since I've been doing this for over four years. Podcast-wise, been doing analysis publicly for over five. It's always been free, always been on free platforms. All I ask is that you guys, if you guys like it, share it. Um, give it a like on YouTube. Subscribe to my YouTube channel. I've only got like a measly 190-something subscribers. I'd really appreciate it. The ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts help immensely. I'm coming to Stitcher and SoundCloud. Don't worry. And if you want to go even further to support for free, go to MixedMarshallAnalyst.com, the host of this website, embedded into my profile on Twitter, at DanTomMMA. And you will find on MixedMarshallAnalyst.com, on it and Amazon click-throughs. Whether you like the hemp protein, the vitamins, the new mood, go click through the, that banner. No cost, extra cost to you. A small percentage of the sale will go back to this here podcast as I put it back into the show, as you can hear and see. Uh, as well as for Amazon. We all use that right now, right? And if you just want to, you know, help support the show straight up, there is a PayPal link for those who feel so inclined. All right. Thank you, guys. Good luck on your picks and plays this weekend. And always protect your next.